This is the Teachable Soul Podcast. Because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves, let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The Teachable Soul Podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host, Kat Daniels. Welcome back to the Teachable Soul Podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels, and today with me, I have the pleasure of interviewing Miss Alex Carmelli. Alex is an entrepreneur, coach, and the author of the books, Teach Your Ducklings to Fly and Stand in Fear. She guides small business owners on their journey to building teams that work for more than a paycheck. She also blogs on topics such as self-made entrepreneurship, leadership, and authorship at alexandracarmelli.com, which is A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A-C-A-R. M-E-L-I.com. Alex earned a dual degree in linguistics and psychology from Northeastern University. She lives in the Boston area with her partner and husky puppy. Lastly, Alex strives to live her life by the mantra, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. Welcome, Alex. Thanks so much, Kat. So excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for meeting with me today and talking with me. So I love the titles of your books um, and I love what you're doing. That is fantastic for small business owners. I actually used to work for a tech company that helps small and medium business owners as well um, with kind of their technology needs and kind of helping them to translate (laughs) the tech world, if you will. Um, so I, I, that kind of coincides with, with what you do there. So why did you go to learn about linguistics and psychology? What drove you to do that? So I think language plays such a huge part in identity. And one big thing that I started noticing, and it's been especially apparent throughout my years of coaching, the last five years of coaching, is that you know, how you say things and how you identify really has a big impact in how you think about the world. So I'll give an example. It's, it's, one, it's one thing to write a book, but you might not feel like an author. But when you start telling yourself, I'm an author, I am a best-selling author, I am great at writing, like that, how you talk about things, how you say things starts to, starts to shift how you talk about things and how you think about things. And so I think you can't, you really can't have one without the other for me. And I think the school sort of felt the same, which is why they created that dual degree. Mm. Um, I've really found it to be true with, with all of my coaching. Whenever you're trying to make any significant change, like self-talk and how you speak about yourself hugely influences, you know, behavior. Yeah, that's a huge, you're exactly right. I've been um, learning recently a lot about how people say, you know, if you journal or something like that, that if you start journaling what what you want for the future as if it's already happening now, that, you know, I think that that's the, the thought behind that. Is that right? Yes, yes. I love that you said that. I actually read Rachel Hollis's book, Girl, Stop Apologizing. And there's this exercise um, called 1101, which is um, 10 years, 10 dreams, one goal. And the shift that you make is all you, all, all you start writing is in present tense. Mm-hmm. So even if you haven't written a book or started a business, you are talking as if it is already happened. And for me, when I started doing that, that was like a huge shift where my brain was like, oh, it's not, it's not going to happen. You're, it's already happening. So start moving. Mm. So I, Wow, that is a good point. So when 
So after you went through this dual degree program and learned all about this, you started implementing these things and doing them themselves and actually were able, how soon were you actually able to notice a difference for you? So the, the implementing the present tense speaking was probably in the last six or seven months. It's not, it's actually not something this specifically I was taught in my degree, Oh, okay. uh, but I mean, I've been practicing it now for pro- probably for the last six months. And a lot of the goals I had on there, I didn't realize how small they were. <laughs> I didn't realize how small I was thinking. So for mm-hmm. example, one, one goal I had on there was to quit my job and be my own boss. This was in September of 2019. And mm-hmm. three months later, I quit and launched a business. Uh, and I, I really credit a lot of that to just changing mindset. I already had everything I needed. It was a matter of making sure that I was in the right space to accept everything coming my way and not sabotage myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's funny that you say that. I literally just thought that to myself yesterday. So I'm in a coaching program where she tasked us with writing an article about ourselves as if we are the interviewer um, or the person writing the article, um, you know, in our favorite magazine or whatever the case may be. Um, And you had to write the article um, as if it was a year from now and, and basically list all the things that you wanted to accomplish or wanted to happen, you know, within that year. Like if you're, if all of your whole dreams could come true, what would it be? And while I was writing that article, you know, originally my, my goals were based off of, you know, how much I, I, I want to make to bring into my family for the year or, um, you know, what, what I wanted to do to get there. Um, and then I realized in writing the article, those are, those are small goals. Like those are peanuts compared <laughs> to what I actually want to do. You know what I mean? And so I was thinking, I realized I was thinking very small in the grand scheme of things. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I totally feel that. Um, I think I think the other thing that helped me realize this concept of thinking small was, um, I don't know if you've heard of Jesse Cole, who's the owner of the Savannah Bananas, and he wrote Find Your Yellow Tux, which is all about like standing out. But he basically advises you to write your eulogy or like obituary mm. and reverse engineer your life. So you write your obituary and then you work backwards. Wow, that is... <laughs> <laughs> Do I? A little morbid, but very effective. No, yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. That's, uh, yeah, I saw a quote the other day that also, you know, was helping me. I was like, I, uh, you have to, in order to become the 1%, you have to do what the other 99% are not doing. And I'm like, that is... That is so true. <laughs> like, I have no desire to be, like, super rich or famous or anything, but, like, you know, my whole life, I feel like I've been kind of listening to what people tell me and doing what I'm told to do. Like, Hey, you have to go to college. You have to get a degree. You have to, you know, work a job and blah, blah, blah. And then I got to the end of like the rainbow basically. And I was like, so this is it. Like that wasn't very fun. I wish I would have like done more things that I actually wanted to do instead of listening to just what all the chatter, you know? God, Yeah. I feel you a hundred (laughs) percent. I'm right there with you. Right. (laughs) So um, where did you, what, what is Teach Your Ducklings to Fly about? Yeah, so it is a guide for rock stars in their field, um, specifically millennials, but really anyone could read it, but I wrote it geared toward millennials. So they're rock stars in their field 
who are getting promoted, they're crushing it at work, and now they have to manage other people. And it's the first time they've had to do that. And it's basically about how you start to learn the skill of teaching and coaching and mentoring when you really only had to do your job and haven't had to look through, uh, look over someone else. So I get into a lot of practical skills and practical takeaways for when you're coaching. And then I also really, really try to put you in the the duckling who's the new learner. Mm -hmm. I try to put you in duckling shoes um, and kind of give you a sense for what they're going through so that you can be a more effective coach. Yeah, that's awesome. I, um, I've been in, you know, jobs where I was killing it in like what I was doing and, and doing my job. Um, but then like I started getting more and more responsibility and I found myself in that place where I kind of just didn't like I thought I was prepared for it and then I got there and I'm like, wait a minute. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Can I go back? <laughs> but then you're kind of already in it and they don't want to put you back where you were. So <laughs> you kind of sink or swim. So that's great. I think that, that that book is super helpful then. That's fantastic. And what about Stand in Fear? Where did you, what, what made you write these books? Yeah, um, Stand in Fear is actually coming out at the end of April. So I joined a, actually back in the end of September, I joined a group coaching for book writing and it's actually still going, but I decided to write the Teacher Ducklings to Fly book a little bit early. Um, but the Stand in Fear, the Stand, the Stand in Fear book is essentially at any good thing in my life that's happened has come from a fearful moment or when I am absolutely terrified. Um, and not like my life is in danger, terrified, mm, not no. to get are terrified, but like, I am nervous. I'm sweating. Like this is uncomfortable. And I know, I know we titled this, uh, the show, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. I was at a point in my life with my career where I was doing really, really well. I was overseeing like four to five gyms, um, and coaching coaches and coaching my own clients. And no, doing really well, but I was very, very comfortable mm. and having a lot of fearful moments. And, you know, I, I love the title, the teachable soul podcast, because I think it really says a lot about like, you know, people constantly needing to learn and being teachable is a skill. And I felt like I was to some degree surrounded by people who didn't really want to continue to learn. And, you know, that bothered me. So I was like, all right, I want to write this book about standing in fear, being in fear, because that's when the best things come. Yeah, that is. I love that you say that. We are so on the same page. Like we're so in sync. <laughs> I say, you know, there's there's something somewhere, and I can't remember who said this, but basically it says, you know, all you need is 10 seconds of just complete unadulterated fear. Um to do something. And if you can get over that fear in those 10 seconds, whatever, whatever happens afterwards is going to be great. That doesn't mean it's going to be awesome or exactly what you expected. It means it's going to be a great thing that you got over the fear and whatever happens after you're going to be rewarded for it. And so, yeah, I hate, I am all about people not staying inside their comfort zones and living outside of it because, you know, when you get comfortable, it basically, it just placates you. And then you get 
kind of lazy, you know, in the comfortability. Um, and yeah, it's when you step outside of that comfort zone that you can really start to like live. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I worked with a lot of new managers at, at my last company. So every incoming manager I got to help mentor, which was a huge privilege, but a lot of them were really, really tenured, mm. which was great, but also came in feeling really, really comfortable at first. Mm. And I think felt like that was a good thing where they have so much experience and so much knowledge and they already know so much. And they really did know a lot. Mm -hmm. Part of what I talk about in Teach Your Ducklings to Fly is there's a period when you're coaching that you almost have to like prepare this learner that they don't know what they don't know. And whenever they feel comfortable, that's a sign that they're missing something. Like there's more... You're never going to know everything. And you should take that comfortable feeling, you know, at, almost as like a warning, like something's gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I've talked to so many people about kind of the psychology um, and, and the physiology of our brain. And like our brain is, is set to, it, it's almost as if our brain is set to keep us um, like it's it's supposed to tell us, hey, when there's harm or when there's danger, um, and and it does a very great job of doing that. But sometimes it does it actually to our detriment. And so, you know, whenever you get in a comfortable place, your brain is like, okay, cool, let's stay here forever. <laughs> unfortunately, the whole rest of the world around you does not stay in one place forever. Um, so yeah, that's a, a very good point. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So you, you look very young. I'm not exactly sure how old you are, but it, you have accomplished a lot in a very short amount of time. It seems like, so what is, what gives you that ability? Yeah, it's a good question. I get this question a lot actually. And it's funny because my answer has really evolved over time, especially in the last um, six months So for a long time, I thought that I was, you know, really accomplished and doing so well because I worked really, really hard. You know, I was getting up at 5 a.m., going to sleep at 10 p.m., and I was, you know, killing myself and having a lot of success, but I realized it wasn't an authentic why behind why I was having success because honestly, there were so many other people out there that we're doing a similar thing, but not getting those results. And over the last six months, I've really tried to dug, dig deep and challenge myself to, you know, why am I the way I am? Why do I see the world the way I do? And actually my book coach, who I was telling you about, I joined this program, helped me figure out that from a really, really young age, I had to show up as an adult. So I, I don't want to go too much into it, but there were things that as a kid, I had to deal with that at 12, really, you know, I I was acting like a 25 year old or a 30 year old. And so when I, you know, came into a management role at 22, um, four years ago, I was, you know, doing really well. And everyone's like, it's your first time managing. Like, how are you so good at this? Like, how is your team getting such great results? And you've never done this before. And I was like, I work hard, but now I think I've, had to take care of people for so long and I've had to be an adult for so long that I'm not pulling from 
four or five years of experience. I'm pulling from 15 years of experience having to be an adult for other people. And that's been a really recent conclusion. And, you know, for all the people that are listening, I, I really hope that if, if people ask you why you're successful, you go beyond, I work hard or I get up early or, you know, I, I, I hustle or whatever you want to say, but figure out really why you are the way you are and what, what past events have contributed to your success now. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, certainly finding out, you know, I just recently um, kind of went on this journey of, of self-exploration um, myself and finding out, um, you know, everybody is like, oh, you need to love yourself first before you can like love anybody else or, or offer or help anybody else even, um, you know, but I never, I, I thought at the time that I did love myself. I was like, well, yeah, there's things about myself that I love, um, but that's not what that means. <laughs> I found out, um, you know, when you, when you love yourself, you really have to love all of yourself, um, you know, and, and you can be realistic, um, like for instance, one of the things that I do um, that I had been seeing as a fault for a very long time um, because I was always told growing up just to be patient. Um, but I am very skilled at getting things done extremely quickly because I prefer to have things done um, in, a, in a fast manner than to have them done perfectly. Um, and there are people who want them done perfectly and will take their time to do them. I'm just not one of those people. And I thought that having it done perfect was the way that the world worked and wanted it. Um, but now I realize that, you know, I just need to embrace the fact that I can, like, I can't tell you how many times in school I got an A on a, on an assignment that I knocked out in 30 minutes because I was rushing to do it and I just wanted it done. I do, I perform far better when I am under so much pressure like that than I do when I try to take my time and nitpick and things like that. Because then what happens is I start overthinking everything and just start changing everything when really my first effort is oftentimes better than any other effort beyond that. Um, and I, you know, for a long time just wanted, I was like, well, I should probably be patient and, and change that about myself. Um, but that's not the case. Like I should absolutely embrace it and just kill it doing that because I can, because that's who I am. Um, and I'm not somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. Someone recently asked me, you know, through like the book writing process, they're like, how are you choosing the titles? And like, are you doing all this research? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm really just focused on like who I'm writing to and you know, who I'm trying to serve and trying to block out all the noise and just do things you know, the way I feel comfortable doing them. And you know, I think that's like the most important thing is not just trying to stand up, but like doing what works for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Incredibly important. And there's another, to your point, I um, actually next week I have an interview coming out with Devin Halliday, but in his interview, he actually mentioned another person um, who wrote a book called The Gift of Struggle. Um, which I haven't read it yet, but he basically, it's basically about, um, you know, figuring out that whether it be fortunate or unfortunate, sometimes the struggles that we go through or the bad times that we go through or the things that happen to us are what make us better in the end, you know? Yeah, it's, it's very true. I love that. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love, I mean, I don't love that, of course, 
But if we were, if we all lived in a perfect world where everybody was just happy all the time and nothing went wrong, we would all be in that comfortable place. You know, like when you come into a job and, and you've been tenured for so long and you, you know, your stuff, like, you know, what's going on and you want to tell everybody else, you know, that, that this is how it's always been done. And that phrase bothers me. I, it gets under my skin and bothers me so much. I can't even begin to tell you, but you know, just because something has always been done that way doesn't mean that the whole rest of the world is not changing around you. <laughs> you know, yeah. your, your whole gym can change around you because they have to, you know, change to the times or change to the expectations of the customer or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like you can't, it's just like you said, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. Yeah. That's exactly I think, right. Yeah. One, one thing I'll add to is, when you do have those moments where people tell you, you know, it's always been done this way or there's a right way to do things. It's, it's, you know, that fires me up. Like before I left my, um, before I left my last job to start my business, you know, someone said to me, you know, startups usually fail three to four times before they're successful. And I was like, yes, thank you for saying this because this is going to fire me up. And I'm going to work so much harder. And now I'm going to have something to get angry about and use in a positive way. So I think that anger can be so effective in overcoming fear. Right. You're just like, oh my God, like I'm going to get this done because I have to now. Yeah. Because now I have to prove you wrong because that's wrong. (laughs) I um, I was freelancing for a while before I started a job one time. And uh, this guy from a marketing agency was interviewing me, basically. Um, He was considering hiring me on, um, but I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize this until after the fact, but um, I I luckily shot myself in the foot because I argued with him. (laughs) And um, he said to me, he was like, you know, you can't, you can't go after small and medium businesses because the money's not there. Um, the money's in the corporations. And so as a business, you have to go after where the money is and, and the corporations. Like you can't even help small and medium businesses because they're so, the the market for small and medium businesses is basically so diverse that it's hard to niche down and help anybody. And I'm like, that's not, that's inaccurate. Like I completely disagree with that wholeheartedly. And sure enough, I went and I found a job right after that where they were helping small and medium businesses as a whole, and they are still doing that successfully. (laughs) So you just have to block out the noise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad that you were able to like go through whatever hard times you were able to go through and come out, you know, so strong um, and strong headed as you are. Some people, you know, kind of go into themselves, if you will, and, and just be sad about it all, all the time. (laughs) Yes. So very true. Right. So congratulations. You have succeeded in life. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like I'm just getting started and you know, nothing, nothing's done yet. (laughs) Right. Oh no, you totally are. And that's, that's, that's what's beautiful about it. But I mean, you've, you've got a fantastic start. So (laughs) yes. Yeah. Good start much to come. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So what other kind of teachable moments do you have for us? Uh, in, in general, in, in life, in work? In your life. What, um, what's something that you've learned 
um, that you hope to prevent other people from having to go through? Hmm. Um, one thing I would say is it took me some time to find my voice in, in the workplace and even outside. Um, so I've, I've always been very opinionated and very, you know, strong headed, but there were places, um, where I felt like I couldn't have a voice, um, either because, you know, like I wasn't the right person to give someone feedback or, you know, I wasn't, you know, maybe I wasn't reading the situation correctly. Um, so I had a, you know, you know, when I first started managing, I had a lot of interactions like with some of my bosses where I wanted to be able to give them feedback. I wanted to be able to help them, but didn't feel like I was the person who could. And so my, my biggest, I think my biggest teachable moment from, you know, when I was first starting out is that you shouldn't discredit your opinion or quiet your voice or sacrifice your message in favor of politeness. Mm. Ultimately, you know, the, the people who go the extra mile to tell you or give you feedback, Mm. like me going the extra mile to give someone feedback, even if it's really uncomfortable and difficult to do, I'm going to be the person who stands out that tried to make them better where in reality, most people won't give you that feedback that, you know, you're looking for, even if you're not looking for it, like most people won't tell you if there was something. So that's what I strive to do. Like I tried to be as honest, as brutally honest in a kind way as Mm -hmm. possible to others and to not, you know, not quiet my voice because I'm intimidated or because I don't, or I have a voice telling me I'm not the I'm not the person to do this. I try to I try to ignore that. Yeah. I actually, um, I had a situation in work one time where we had a new manager come on and it was well known that I did not like her. <laughs> <laughs> but she said one time in a meeting, in a, in a team meeting, that if people did not start taking their 20 minute breaks, that they would start taking the time off of their pay, which is super illegal. <laughs> And so in the meeting, actually, I said, you literally can't do that. That is illegal. And she was like, well, well, da, 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 we will. And, I, and so I, I went above her head because I didn't feel like I could come to her and talk to her about it um, and be like, listen, not only did you say this and it's illegal, but in saying that you lost the trust of the entire team when you said that. Like that is not going to get you a an attitude like that is not going to get you anywhere with your team. Um, But at the time, instead of confronting her with, Hey, you literally just lost the trust of every single person here. um, I went to her manager who was above her or or one of the owners um, because it was a smallish organization. And um, I I sent her a long email about (laughs) um, mostly for a paper trail um, about how, you know, it was, it was inappropriate. It was uncalled for unnecessary and did lose the trust of the team. And now it's going to be real hard to work that back up. Um, And she needed to apologize basically. And of course the manager went straight to her and was like, Hey, uh, I just got this email. And she immediately walked in the door because this was before they ever even got in the door. Um, she came in the door and was like, Hey, next time you have a problem with me, please come to me. 
about it and was mad about it. And I realize now, of course, that she would have respected me more had I have actually come to her, even if I didn't like her. Um, and on top of that, you know, had I have just come to her, I would have felt better about it to begin with because she would have, like, I would have been able to, to see her face. Um, and even if she had have, you know, fired me or whatever at the time, like I'd have felt better about myself doing it. So <laughs> like, yeah. and fire me, but your team's going to go to, you know, you're going to burn down the place basically. So, Yeah. I think, I think what makes it easier too, cause I've had really similar scenarios like that where I've had, you know, bosses who have done things where I'm like, Oh my God, like, what were you, what were you thinking? Right. And I think it's easy to see them as people who know everything and are purposely being malicious. And so, you know, seeing them as people who also need to be coached and also need to receive feedback. And, you know, one thing I've learned is like the higher up you get in a company, like the less feedback that you get Mm. and the more permission you feel like you have to do whatever you want, unless someone keeps you in check. Mm -hmm. That is such a good point. I think if you, you know, you're, you're that person who can go to them and say, you know, I'm really just trying to look out for you and I want to see you lead this team well, but like, here's what I'm seeing and I hope you take this the right way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I hope you take this as feedback and not as me coming at you like with malicious, you know, malicious intent. That's not what it is. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. That is definitely a hard situation to be in, especially like when I was younger. I mean, I agree with you. I was having, I, I, I did not know where my place or my voice was. I thought I knew where my place was, um, which was basically just to never speak up. (laughs) Um, Which doesn't really do a whole lot for anybody. Um, But yeah, I think even as you, you get higher up in the company and have more responsibilities, I think that you actually should probably get more coaching um, and feedback like that than even when you're in lower positions. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, um, part of, part of the coaching that I do now, um, when I talk about like, you know, building a team that works for more than a paycheck and comes in for, you know, something greater than themselves. Um, it's, we don't focus on the team. We focus on the leader. Mm. And so as soon as you start to have the leader understand like, how, how much they probably need to grow and how much they need to work on themselves before they start asking a lot of things from their team, things start to shift really, really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I usually a lot of times see um, this, this is something like I observed from kind of watching other managers in action. Um, but usually when there's a problem or a culture issue, they go team and then leader instead of focus on the leader and then the team will get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think that there's a big uh, top down effect that mm-hmm. happens when you start to invest in those people. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. They start companies normally, they'll be like, Oh, let's do team exercises, you know, and they rarely go to leadership and are like, so this team is not performing well. And I mean, sometimes they do, but sometimes it's in a really negative way. Like, it's like, Hey, uh, this team is not performing well and it's all your fault. <laughs> like, that's not really productive. Um, that is not, uh, productive feedback. 
you know? Yeah. And you know, it like, if you want your team to be coachable, you have to be coachable. Mm. So if, you know, if you're the person that can't take feedback, like why would they take feedback from you? Mm-hmm. It's a two way street. And really how often are you asking for feedback for them? Because I, I know most people, like, I, I don't think it's the, it's most people's instinct to be like, how did I do? Like, what could I be doing better for you? Like, have I upset you with anything? Because I think there's times where we expect, you know, uh, we're, we're the one giving that to mm-hmm. them. And they don't feel like they can give that to us. So I think when you bridge that, there's, there's another really positive impact that happens there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and back to what you were saying about leaders being coachable, you know, that's, that's probably why they hire coaches, like people in higher up positions, you know, hire coaches, like life coaches or whatever all the time, like yourself. Yeah. Who you deal with now. Uh, no, you do small business owners, right? Yeah. It's uh, primarily like small business owners who are um, starting to grow their teams now. So their businesses are picking up um, and, you know, starting to grow the team. And one thing I, I, I like working with small business owners the most because I, I'm almost trying to, you know, save them from becoming a company that eventually treats their employees terribly. Mm. So I want to be the person that goes in and shows them how to like lay the seeds for an amazing place to work mm-hmm. so that yes, they're, you know, they're making more money and they're onboarding people correctly. But, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners leave their jobs because of terrible bosses and they leave their jobs because of companies that they feel like they aren't treating them right. And some of them, ironically enough, end up falling into similar pattern, not on purpose, but as what they experienced at their last place because it's all they've ever known and they don't know how to break that cycle. Mm-hmm. And then I come in and I'm like, like you left your job to start this because you hated your boss. You hated being in this environment. You want to be an entrepreneur. You're doing the same thing. Right. And like, you got it. This is now where you have to break the cycle at the beginning or this is never going to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point because that's um, culture even in a small company is just as important. And you're exactly right. I can't tell you how many times I have left a job um, just because of leadership. And equally, I have stayed in a job just because of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have good leadership, I, I feel it's, it's, like, it's like having a work family. You know, everybody needs a tribe. Everybody needs friends. Everybody needs family. Um, we need people to survive. Um, and when you spend a third of your waking hours at work, you, you have to have kind of a work family where, you know, you can rely on these people and, and help them, um, and ask for help, you know, if you need it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think when you have the right, I love that the work family or tribe, when you have that, mm-hmm. it really almost overcompensates for a lot of things. So I'll give an example, like I started out as a a personal trainer in my career and they make terrible money. Like mm. I think minimum wage when you start as you're building your clients, mm. the hours are grueling. It's literally like 16 hour days, picking up clients, prospecting, learning, trying to grow. It's a lot, but 
I so much believed in the mission of our team Mm. and I so much believed in what I was doing that it just didn't matter that I wasn't making a lot of money or that I was working myself into the ground. Right. And I, I just think too often we rely on, you know, money or giving more equity or, you know, buying a ping pong table and feeling like that's taking care of people when I think most of the time people just want to be part of something and feel valuable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely, um, yeah, I will work for you for, you know, just barely covering my bills um, and stay there as long as I feel like, you know, you can lean on me and I can lean on you. Um, whereas I will not work for you for that same money if you, if I don't feel like I can lean on you in a time of need. Yeah. (laughs) I will go find something better, either that pays more or, you know, has a better culture where I can actually befriend the people that I work with and, and, you know, like them and hang out with them. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, are there, are there any other, um, things that you'd like to share? Yeah, I'll, I'll give, um, I'll, I'll share one other lesson from just, there, there's some things I think from writing the book, writing these two books in the last um, five, six months mm. that I've taken. And the, the biggest thing that I've, I think I've learned from the whole process, and it really applies to a- anything that you are um, kind of doing, is that when I first started the process, I thought that I needed to have the answer. I thought it that I needed to have, you know, the solution for everyone's problems. I thought I needed to be an expert on everything. Um, so that was one of my biggest hesitations before, you know, writing the book where I was like, I don't, you know, I'm not an expert on everything. I don't have one answer. And what I found is as you go through things and as you work and as you gain experience, like the answers will reveal your, reveal themselves to you along the way. Mm -hmm. And I, that's the biggest thing. Like, don't wait for an answer, like start finding them and talking while you're looking. Yes. I, (laughs) when I started this uh, podcast, I was, you know, kind of researching because that's what you do when you first start something that you know nothing about. Um, and I didn't, and I wanted to do it. Like I wanted to, to have a podcast. I wanted to have conversations with people, meaningful conversations with people that had the potential to help other people. Um, and when I started, I was looking at, you know, like there's all this information and it was total information overload. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's equipment, there's rights and wrong ways to do things. There's different, um, websites that you can use and shouldn't use and blah, 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 blah. And I just decided um, that I was just going to go ahead and start and do it um, and, and figure it out along the way because I personally learn best anyways when I'm actually like doing something, you know, reading or, or hearing something. Um, you know, I, I can obtain the information if I'm reading it, but it, it just takes longer, I feel like, to process and to, to put into action than if I just do the thing, make mistakes along the way and fix it as I go. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's a, it's called, I think, I think it was Pat Flynn on one of his podcasts talks about like on the spot learning. 
where you don't focus on anything. You don't learn anything except for the thing that you're doing right then and there. As soon as you need it, you, you find what you're looking for and then you just keep moving. Yep. And that's what happened. Yeah. That's, I started researching in November and I was able to make it go live in February. Um, Wow. Yeah. So. Hmm? I said, that's awesome. That's great. Thanks. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm a huge proponent of just, just do and you'll figure it out. Yeah. One, one thing too is that this is from, I had a conversation with a couple of friends a little while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was talking about, you know, she wanted to write a book and launch her business. And she's someone who's sort of been talking about this for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, working in the corporate world for, I don't even know how long at this point, but you know, she hasn't taken action on any of it. And she was like, you know, I can't even help myself. How can I help anyone else? And I was like, you know, that's exactly why you're the person to Mm. help everyone else because you are thinking and feeling and experiencing exactly what they're experiencing and so you're that you're that much closer to them and speaking their language. Mm-hmm. We talk about this in the, the Ducklings book. Um, is the further you are away from your learner, the harder it is for them to feel like, you know, that they could be you one day. So it's like imagine if you're a life coach learning from Tony Robbins. You're like, I'm never going to be Tony Robbins. Like none of this applies to me. But if I go to a community center and find a life coach who's just starting out and they picked up a few clients. I'm like, all right, I could, I could be like this person. I could do this. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the biggest thing. You don't need to have the answer. You don't need to be super farther along. I think in fact, it is an advantage if you are closest to the people you're trying to reach. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I have, um, you know, even if it's a situation where like you can't figure out what you want, um, just do something like (laughs) just do something that you actually enjoy doing. Um, and you know, obviously people have to like pay bills and stuff, but I'm, I'm so on board right now with this. Just life is too short. It is too short. You don't even realize how short it is. Just thing, (laughs) just do it. Like you're not going to regret doing the thing. I read, I think I read, I think it's in like four hour work week um, that I read this week, a story about a lady that wanted to um, take her family and and go on um, not a cruise, but they wanted to like rent a sailboat or something like that and, and travel the whole coast of like the country that they lived in or something. But they were like, oh no, we'll just have to do it whenever we're retired and we'll never be able to bring our kids and afford all this and that and the other thing. And they were just telling themselves that because as soon as they actually sat down to figure out how much it would cost, they already had the money. Not only did they have the money, they had enough money saved up and decided to use it right then and there to take the trip. They were able to take months off of work to do it. And they didn't have to worry about a thing. And it's just, life is too short. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's so true. Like, I think that's like, to your point, like that's the thing, like people who do what they want and don't, it's it's literally you're an action taker or you're not. It's not that you were gifted or special or had an advantage. Like you're just the one taking action. Yeah. Well, and it's not that like you are or are not. It's it's just a matter, matter of deciding to do or do not. Right. Right. 
because I mean, anybody can do whatever they want to do. Literally, we live in a time and a place where so much more is possible even now than it used to be. And so like, take advantage, dude, seize the day. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I love it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your stories with me. I've really um, enjoyed this conversation and I'm looking super forward to reading Stand in Fear that I love the title and it sounds amazing. I can't wait to read it. I will send you an early copy, Kat. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet of you. Thank you. That's awesome. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Yeah. And if anybody else needs um, your coaching, they can get you at your website. Do you have, I I assume, like Facebook or Instagram or anything like that as well? Yeah, you can find me at Alex Carmelli on Instagram and Facebook, Alexandra on LinkedIn. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. And if anybody needs anything, just reach out to me and I'll get you guys hooked up. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much again. And I hope that you have a wonderful day. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thank you all for continuing to listen and for your patience with me in this whole learning process. I really appreciate that anybody at all listens. I genuinely do. And I thank you guys so much. You guys can always find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter now, um, and LinkedIn at The Teachable Soul or The Teachable Soul on Twitter. And if you would like to help support the show, you can find me at patreon.com slash the teachable soul. I'll be trying to create some extra content there for you guys if you subscribe and kind of interact with you. One of the things that I like least about podcasts is that I can't interact or ask questions to any of my listeners, but through Patreon, hopefully I'll be able to do that. So thank you again for listening.